Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So the fool is that person that the leader respects and who knows has the wisdom, but also cares enough about the leader to give them the gift of truth and not be interested in self-interest. Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. It is another beautiful day here in North Carolina, and this episode is brought to you by our sponsors, Jeremy Clevenger Fitness and the Sasquatch Flag Company. Both of these sponsors help me bring these shows to you each and every week, so I encourage you to click on their links below and check them out. I have another great show lined up for you today, but before we get started, I just want to remind you to check out the leadership books I've written on either Amazon or my website, johnsrenny.com. This year, I'm offering a new way to purchase all of my books for a discount. I've bundled the books into what I call the Qualified Leadership Series, and you get all three books for 15% off the individual prices. This offer is only available on my website, so check it out if you're looking to step up your leadership game this year. Also, I want to remind you that Deep Leadership is now ranked as a top 100 management podcast in the U.S. and in the U.K., so I wanted to thank each and every one of you for listening in each week and sharing these episodes with your friends. You have helped this podcast grow into a top-performing show, so thank you very much. Well, that is it. Today, we're going to be talking about the idea that everyone needs a fool in their lives. Now, what is a fool? It's someone we trust enough to give them the psychological safety required to tell us the absolute truth. Someone who will help us see our blind spots and break our patterns of self-destructive behavior. My guest is Paul Glover. Paul recently did a TEDx talk on this subject, and I wanted to get him on the show to talk about it. You know, I see too many bosses surrounded by yes men and yes women, and uh, Paul helps us understand why we need at least one person in our lives who is willing to point out the truth. So are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by a returning guest to the show. You might remember Paul Glover from back in episode 120. Paul is an executive performance coach, speaker, and author. He spent 20 years as a federal court trial lawyer before making the transition to helping leaders. Paul is returning to the show to discuss his recent TEDx talk called Everyone Needs a Fool in Their Lives. In this performance, Paul shares why having a fool in our lives Someone we trust enough to give the psychological safety required to tell us the truth is essential so we can see our blind spots and break our patterns of self-destructive behavior. I am excited to have him back on the show to talk about this important topic. So, Paul, welcome back. 
Thank you so much, John. As always, it's a pleasure speaking to you and, and to your audience. So thank you. Yeah, it's good to have you back on the show. And it's, and I'm really excited to talk about this topic. I got a chance to watch the speech. It's really powerful. And uh, we're going to put a link in the show notes for that at the end. Uh, but man, I wanted to talk to you about this. As soon as I saw it and realized the importance of this topic, I wanted to have you on the show and talk about it. So first of all, congratulations, a great speech, well-delivered, and that's hard work. So uh, well done uh, on that standpoint. But uh, so let's talk about fools. Um, interesting topic. So it's it's a leadership topic that we have not talked about on this show so far. So in all the episodes we've had, we've never talked about fools. So um, who were the fools from a historical perspective? Well, and that's that's where the concept comes from, because when we see the medieval king sitting on the throne, at the foot of the throne sits the uh, the fool, uh, the entertainer who's dressed like a harlequin, jumps up, sings a song, does a little dance, and uh, makes the king laugh. And that's what we believe the fool's role was. But the reality was the fool was a trusted advisor to the king. Mm -hmm. And the reason that he was dressed that way is because the king was appointed by divine right, it meant God had selected the king. So anyone who challenged the king's decisions or behavior committed the crime of heresy. Mm. And heresy was penalized by death. It had that kid cut off. However, crazy people were exempted from the rule. So the way that there was a counterbalance to the divine right of king was the appointment of the fool. The fool was someone that the king respected and trusted, but who was in a position to see the blind spots and the triggers that the king had to avoid if they were going to rule correctly and had the psychological safety, the permission to tell the king the truth because they were crazy and couldn't get their head cut off. So that was the counterbalance. It was in place for 1,500 years and it worked really well. And I looked at that concept and said, this absolutely has application to the modern-day leader, the CEO who is the king. And people are very, very loath to tell the king the truth because they're often not willing to believe the king is going to be happy hearing the truth. So the fool is that person that the leader respects and who knows has the wisdom but also cares enough about the leader to give them the gift of truth and not be interested in self-interest. Mm. So now you can see why I'm so interested in this topic, because I have I have witnessed so many leaders in my days in corporate uh, that only wanted good news. They were it was like the good news company. So we only wanted good news. And if any time the you know bad news would come, you'd kill the messenger, you shoot the messenger. It's almost essentially exactly the, the like the scenario you described, which is nobody nobody uh, goes against the king because you're going to get your head cut off. Well, that was what it was in, in corporate. You never brought bad news to the boss because he wanted all all good news. And so, but and so you're so so ends up happening. You're getting these bosses surrounded by yes men and yes women. You know that that and so you're right. There's no one there to speak the truth to 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 these leaders and um 
It's interesting that no one that you that you found this because no, I've never heard anyone else talking about this really important topic of having a trusted advisor that is willing to tell you the truth. Where, so where did the, where did you come up with this idea? When when did it? Where did the light bulb go off when you saw this and said, "We need this"? <laughs> well, I, well, I I can tell you that it was under uh, under terrible circumstances for me. Uh, I had uh, been found guilty by a federal court of committing uh, crimes, 33 counts actually, of taking bribes and kickbacks. So I was spending five and a half years in prison. It uh, cost me my law license and uh, and nearly cost me my family. They suffered much more than I did. Uh, I left them financially destitute. I'd had two trials, spent all of our savings, put a second mortgage on the house, spent my son's college education funds, and went to prison for five and a half years. And by the way, I committed the crimes. Uh, and and I went through a, a period first. I spent the first two years in prison engaged in revenge fantasy. Hmm. I was going to get even with everybody who put me in prison because it couldn't be me that put me in prison. Hmm. I was the smartest guy in the room. Uh, and by the way, I was a trial lawyer, and trial lawyers have huge egos. And that, that's how you survive trials. And uh, and I was so full of myself. I the, the term I use is hubris. I had hubris, and that was that that's connected to the biblical idea of pride cometh before the fall. Mm. And that was me to a T. And my pride and my uh, ego caused me to commit the crimes and then go to prison. And after two years, uh, I can tell you what triggered me because I believe that leaders, and I put myself in the category of being someone who would fulfill a leadership position, not necessarily because I'm particularly skilled, but because my personality is that way, right? So the personality of a leader, and as I worked with my clients, it was usually a match, Right? I mean, our personalities were a type. Uh, we were going to be the driver. We were going to be successful. All of the things that make you successful as a trial lawyer will make you successful as a leader, uh, a corporate leader. And uh, and so I went through two years of, of watching people who had been in prison when I got there leave and come back. Mm. And... That was shocking to me. Recidivism is about 80% in, this, in the federal system. And I saw them come back, and I was like, what the hell? You just got out. You went back. And what? And they would say, listen, you go back, and you're still the same. Mm. And if you're still the same, you will do the same thing over and over again, right? That's, that's just the way our, our ends work. We go back to the same environment. Yeah, and maybe we engage with the same friends, and before you know it, we're committing the same act. And I had caused my family to suffer enough, and I knew that if I didn't change, I was going to lose them. My wife and my two sons uh, miraculously survived my destructive behavior and allowed me to remain a member of the family. But I also knew I had to change, and so I went through a period of self-reflection. And the nice thing about self-reflection, it's a start, but it's not the finish. Mm. Self-reflection is looking in the mirror. And what do you see when you look in the mirror? You see yourself. Now, maybe you can see some blemishes, but I guarantee you, you don't see yourself the way other people see you. Oh, And yeah. that's the key. 
Self-reflection is interesting, and I'm all about and all for it, except if that's where you stop, you have an incomplete picture of yourself. Uh, so I was reading, trying to find a solution, and that's when I came across the concept, reading a book about history and the English kings, and there was a story about the, the fool. And based on that, I did the research and found out that, in fact, this is the function of the fool, to be the, the giver of truth to the king. Mm. And I thought, okay, uh, I need a fool. Mm. I need someone that, that I respect and that is wise enough but knows me well enough to give me the gift of truth. And by the way, as I, I tell everyone, when you go looking for a fool, you're trying to give them a hard job. Because someone who was going to tell me I was wrong, well, it, was our, it was like verbal armed combat. Yeah. Right? And I'm a lawyer. I'm skilled in, in the arts. Yeah, this is a combat. So when my wife and my wife came to visit me, drove five hours once a month to spend two days in a, a visiting room with 300 other inmates and their families. So we're sitting at a table. And this is, she's done this for two years now. And I am still the biggest asshole that I was when I went to prison. And she's still coming, and my sons come every month. And so we're sitting in the uh, in the visiting room, and I said, you know, Debbie, I've come to a revelation. And she's immediately looking at me like, what the hell is this going to happen now? And I said, I need you to be, and I didn't use the word fool because that wasn't going to work at the time. I said, I need you to be the person who tells me the truth about me. And she said, absolutely not. And well, oh, and I was like, well, by the way, I, not that I didn't expect that answer, so I was prepared for it. I was, and, and I said, well, why not? She said, you are the most combative person that I have ever encountered. And in our marriage, we had a constant argument about everything. And she said, you are not ready to hear what I think about you. Oh. And I told her, oh, yeah, believe me, these are, this is harsh. Right? I mean, but it, but it has to be. And I said, look, I realize that I'm the jerk that you've just described. And I'm telling you that I know that if I don't change, our marriage is not going to survive. And I'm not going to, I won't make it when I get out. And so... Over a period of about two hours, we discussed how this was going to work. Because I also know, I told her, I said, I can only take small doses. I can't take the full blast. And she said, okay, so once a month, she would come down. And Saturday, we would talk about all of the things that were going on in her life and what was going on in my life. Sunday, she would leave at noon and drive five hours back. So we devoted the last hour of Sunday visit to her telling me the truth about me mm. because I had what I went when she left I would leave the visiting room change to my shorts and walk the track that's how stressed I would be and she told me she just told me what a jerk I was mm. she told me how poorly I interacted with others how I never would accept that I was wrong uh that I was I was rude uh, she, had a, she had a list, by the way. And every one of them was accurate. Mm. She's the love of my life, and she was my first fool. And her, her giving me the gift of truth allowed me to now take the second step, second step be, besides 
self-reflection. It was accepting the feedback from her about me. So that no longer was looking in the mirror, I was actually getting the perception of somebody who I loved, who definitely cared about me. And it made me want to change. And I, I look at that and it caused me to want to be different, which meant I started to think about how I could be different. Mm -hmm. Up until then, I had the self-reflection was not making me engage in an action plan or a course of action to change. This suddenly gave me the motivation to want to now put together a plan that would be a change, a transformation, actually. And, uh, and we worked on that for four years. Wow. I was there, and I wasn't going anyplace. So <laughs> come down, and she would come down with a list. I mean, I, she prepared. From the first time on, she prepared. This was going to be the area of me that we were going to talk about. I was not allowed to argue. I was not allowed, even though it made me nuts, I wasn't allowed to be defensive. I couldn't dispute. I mean, it seriously was what I call... You know, the, the concept of listening, we talk about active listening. No, this, this, this was just listening. It was listening to what she had to say without a response. And, I, and I, John, I'll tell you about Kilby. It really yeah. did. It just was not in my nature to hear someone say something and not respond. But I realized that this was the process that I had to go through. And so I did. And when I got out, I looked at my experience and I said, you know, my clients before I went in needed a fool, mm -hmm. but there was no one who would serve in that capacity. I think that that's something that I can do. And I started my coaching career in uh, 2001 based on that premise that when someone was referred to me, that was our conversation. And, uh, it's worked, I, but I can also tell you there's a lot of people that, that won't do it. Uh, it's just too hard. And by the way, it is hard. If you're going to change and anybody tells you it's going to be easy, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. And you are going to hear things that you don't want to hear. You know, and the concept of being willing to listen and not be defensive, not push back, uh, is truly uh, the, the process that does allow leaders to get better. And what I found is that it works, mm, but it's hard. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Leadership skills are like any other skills. You need to practice them to get better at them. Best-selling leadership author John S. Rennie knows this. That's why he's written a new book called You Have the Watch. It's a guided journal for leaders designed to take you through an entire year of leadership training. By the end of the year, you will master 50 of the most important leadership skills. If you want to have a greater impact on the results and people in your organization, go to youhavethewatch.com and pick up your copy today. This episode is brought to you by Jeremy Clevenger Fitness. As a high-performing leader, you know that leadership isn't about telling people what to do. It's about leading by example. And for most people, the one area that they're lacking when it comes to leading by example is their health and fitness. By improving your health and fitness, every other area of your life improves. But how do you get and stay fit as a busy leader? Well, you do what you've always done. You hire the best person for the job. Don't struggle on your own. Put Jeremy Clevenger on your team. Jeremy will work with you to take your physique, mindset, 
nutritional habits, and more to the next level with his step-by-step all-inclusive coaching program. Now, I've worked with Jeremy for the past year, and I'm in the best shape of my life. If you want to step up your game, reach out to Jeremy at apexperformancesystems.com to find out more and get your initial consultation scheduled with him today. This episode is brought to you by the Sasquatch Flag Company. The Sasquatch Flag Company is a family-owned business in New England that builds hand-carved American flags from seasoned white pine. Each flag is hand-built and each star on the flag is hand-hammered and chiseled. No two flags are alike. They offer a variety of flag designs to honor the police, military, firefighters, dispatchers, and search and rescue personnel, to name a few. These stunning handmade flags look great in an office, a studio, the back porch, or above the fireplace mantle. They make the perfect gift for the veteran, first responder, or patriot in your life. Now, I love these flags, and I've been giving them as gifts for years, and I was a customer long before they became a sponsor of the show. I can't recommend them enough, so if you're looking for that perfect, uniquely American make gift to give away or if you want to treat yourself go to sasquatchflags.com and get your order in today one thing you mentioned and i think it's really true is that is ego i mean ego is what kind of you need to have a high level of self-belief to be a leader right especially as an entrepreneur you have to say i'm I'm all in right with all my money everything and i'm going to do it i i have i have i i have confidence in my confidence in myself right so you need that ego to be successful. You know, that's a big part of what we need. But it also creates this, uh, like you say, it's sort of a blinders to, to the fact that we might actually not be right. Or we might have weak spots or we might have behaviors that are that are not helpful to our, our mission or, the, or what we're trying to achieve in our lives. So to me, this is um, a very powerful thing that every leader needs to have, a very powerful person that they need to have in their lives. But how do we get the message to somebody with a very high ego that they need to have a fool in their lives? I mean, this this goes against anything like like you, same thing. You would have said, no, I don't need that. I, I've got all the answers. I know what I'm doing, right? Uh, so how do we get to the point where, where a leader says to, you know what, I do need this in my life? Because that's a little bit humbling, right? to say that I, I do need an extra voice in, in, in my life. How have you seen that with your clients? And how do we get leaders to start thinking that they need to have that voice in their lives? Well, okay, a couple of things. First, the whole concept of back to self-reflection. The whole concept is, whether we like it or not, we have blind spots. Mm. And they're that because we can't see them. And it is generated as a part of our personality. The blind spots are triggered by events or people, and sometimes on purpose. Uh, because one of the things that I talk about with my uh, the people in my coaching board, my clients, is that you may be you may be manipulated and not even know it. Uh, because when you're when someone knows your blind spots and your triggers, they absolutely can manipulate you. And uh, and that's that was my experience, by the way. I was easily manipulated because I was being offered what my ego needed, craved. And once I got it, I was more than willing to do the thing necessary to continue to get that. Uh, so a couple of things that you mentioned. First, the hardest person to coach is someone who is successful. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, because you should it. Uh, what, what am I going to tell you that that you're... I, I love a guy who's had some failure. 
Mm. Because you mentioned that H word, humility. Yeah. You want some humility? You got to fall on your face of it. I believe me. I you know, I entered prison a prideful guy and left a humble guy. Mm. And it was, but but think about this. I'm not advocating anybody to hold five and a half years of incarceration. I think there's an easier process, but you have to be willing to engage in it. People who come to me in a coaching program have an itch that needs to be scratched. Otherwise, they're not interested. I do my work by referral. And as, as anyone will tell you, I'm an acquired taste. And you may not like it. <laughs> uh, I had a friend who did a... Uh, I, I asked him for a recommendation, and he said, sure, I'll give you a recommendation. I said, well, all right, I know you. I need to know what it is. And he said, well, my recommendation is Paul is like an acquired taste, like cyanide. <laughs> it's like, okay, we're not going to use that one. Uh, so, but but it, it, is, it is that itch that needs to be scratched that allows us to start the conversation. You've come to you, and by the way, you're a coach also. People come to you and go, I need you, your service. Someone told me you do this, and it helped them. I I think I need you. They're not sure. right? Everybody enters the coaching process, and if they've never done it before, they're very much apprehensive. I had one guy at the end of our first session, one, one client who said, thank God that's over. Oh. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, I thought you were going to have me laid out on a couch and talk about my mother. I said, well, sure, your mother's a real pleasant person, but I don't care. And second, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm a coach. But people have a, an apprehension because they don't understand. But they do know that there's something that they need to address. E. I always start off with the 360. Because for me to tell you what your issues are is ridiculous until we get into the coaching process. But I need to know the perception of your team, your leadership team, that they'll share with me that they wouldn't share with you. So we do the anonymous 360 degree. Uh, is it actually, you know, is it the best thing to do? No, but it's a starting point. And we get the information back. I've got my own uh, 360 degree review. We, we cover all of the normal areas. And inevitably, the one I love the best is the communication. Well, we do the communication questions, and of course, the leader thinks that he's absolutely clear, right? That he's one of the better communicators you'll ever meet, and that everybody agrees with him, except it comes back that, that the leader thinks that he's communicating by telepathy, because no one understands anything that he's saying. Yeah. So when they get that, that summary back, that's when they normally are like, wow, seriously? Uh, yeah, seriously, this is what the people that you count on to run your business for you think about you and your leadership stuff. So now we've got a an area that we had, can have a discussion about. Uh, by the way, leaders are often not happy with the results of the 360. I had a client, no, I had a guy, person who wanted to be a client two years ago. We did the 360. I gave him the results. We had the conversation. He was visibly upset. He, did, he couldn't believe that this was what his team thought about him. So he said, I need a week to think about this. And a week later, he called me and he said, let's do another 360. <laughs> they first said how we do this. At the end of our coaching engagement, we're going to do another one to see how things went. And try to hopefully there's been an improvement. He said, well, no, I want to do one now. And I said, Why? 
He said, I got my team together and I told them we were going to do this until we got it right. <laughs> now, nice. That's perfect. Well, yeah, but, but as bizarre as that sounds, I would suggest that there are a significant number of leaders, or I don't have a percentage, that that's exactly how they feel about getting news from their direct reports about their leadership skills. Yeah. So this guy was stupid enough to try to do something weird with it. But I think that a lot are, are uh, they, they're defensive about it. They don't like it. And they're shocked mm. because no one's ever told them they're not the best. And their leadership team has, if they don't say anything negative, they don't say anything. And I think that that's a problem. So that's where it all starts. And we, we roll into this with the 360. Based on the 360, we now have some areas where we can have a communication. Uh, and that's where we start the coaching process. We pick an area. Communication is always where I like to start. Without that, there obviously is very little you can do if you're not a good communicator. But we, we often have to look at trust because the 360 will show if there's a lack of trust. Mm. And there's a lack of trust. That's the first thing you've got to talk about. Uh, you know, what are you doing that creates this lack of trust in you and your word, because it's apparent that they don't trust you. And that, uh, that's, you know, that is a, a big shock. You may also have some integrity issues, you know, but, but that's the very beginning of the process. And they understand from the get-go that my job is to help them do the hard thing. Mm. And that is to transform change. And that this requires hard work and that their ability, their desire to do that. And, and I call it commitment. I have everybody sign a commitment letter. And it, it's very clear what it, what it says. We're going to have a conversation every two weeks, 30 to 60 minutes. And every one of those conversations going to result in an action plan. It may be the smallest little thing that you have to do, but it's going to, it's going to address one of these areas of concern about your leadership style. Uh, so if it's communication, we'll deal with something about, here's what something you're going to do to be a better communicator. It may be the training involved, or it may actually be communication process. Whatever it is, you've agreed that you're going to do that. We agree on this together, right? I mean, because once you've got the information, you now have to show that you're willing to do something to improve. Once we have this, this nugget to work on, and always you would start very small because people struggle with it, we have the action plan. At the end of that two-week period, we're going to have a conversation about, did you do the action plan? Mm. If you did, kudos. If you didn't, I'm not happy. And I, I do not hide my unhappiness. <laughs> uh, it's, not, it's not soft coaching. I'm not life coaching. It's about, look, either we're in this together, and I'm going to support you, and you're going, but that requires that you do what you say you're going to do. Otherwise, we have no trust, right? And I know I've got, I've got my compensation is based on 50% as we go through the process. But the other 50% is at the very end when we do that second 360. And if there is no improvement, I don't get it. Mm. I give it away. It's gone. And that, even though that may seem like a, a strange way to, to coach, <laughs> It's, it suits my personality well. I need skin in the game, and I've got it. But it also makes sure that if you're not doing your part, I'm going to let you know. Mm. 
that you, you're not doing your part, and I'm at risk, just like you are, of being a bad leader. I'm at risk of not getting my compensation. Uh, it develops a different a different rapport because we, we both have something vested in the outcome, rather than I'm going to coach you, and if we make it, that's fine. If we don't, that eh, who cares? Mm. No, I care. Now, now maybe an artificial caring. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't care for everybody, but I'm at least invested enough to care about making sure you become better. Mm. Uh, so I become the fool, and you've given me permission plus the psychological safety. But I'm not happy with that. You need more than one fool. First, at some point, I'm going to go away. Mm. I don't know what our coaching engagement's going to be, but the reality is I'm not in your life forever. Again, I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't have a lifetime job trying to make you better. We've got goals that we want to reach, and once we've reached those goals, unless there's now an additional set, you now need to have somebody in your life that when I disappear, they serve the same purpose I did. So I, I tell every leader, you need a flock of fools. Mm-hmm. That flock has got to be people that you give permission to with the psychological safety that you trust, respect, and who care about you and the organization enough to tell you the truth. And we're going to move them into that circle of trust so that when I am no longer needed, you have your fools set up to carry forward. Mm. By the way, once you've experienced having a fool, you miss not having one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you, the, the, when the, you know, this, the way you talk about it. I think about my first job as a plant manager, there was one person in the factory that didn't work for me. And they were at my same level and they just happened to be located on site. But they were, they were involved in strategic projects and they weren't, they didn't report to me. And since they were the only person that didn't report to me, I, I sought them out. I, his, his name was John as well. I sought him out to be, I guess he turned into my fool because I needed someone to bounce ideas off, someone to say, how do you think things are going? Just someone to that was outside my organization that I had a, a just a someone to talk to because leadership is kind of lonely. Like everybody on this in this site worked for me, right? So anywhere I went, I was the boss, you know, except for his office. When I went in his office, I shut the door. I wasn't the boss. I was, I was, I, it was like, he was like a trusted advisor, maybe not quite the fool, but def, definitely a person in my life that I gave permission to say, how are things going that you see? What are you hearing? What are you, you know, just another person. But that was a really valuable person in my life, especially as a young plant manager, my first plant, not really knowing what I was doing and just having that extra person to talk to. So, I mean, uh, I, you know, I was just thinking to myself, you know, if if people are listening to this in and they're like, "What, boy, I need a fool in my life." How would they go about looking for a fool? You know, what how how would they try to identify the right person that might be helpful in that role? Well, you know, and, and again, some of the same words over and over again. First, you, you have to select somebody that you trust and respect. Mm. You can't you don't want a real fool. You you, you want right. to right. act in that capacity. And that means that you you need to look around. And I tell, again, I tell leadership, fools are all around you. They're just disguised. You, you mentioned one, uh, the, the colleague that is not working for you and you're out working for them, that you trust and respect. And you obviously found this person. And they give you the honest, critical feedback 
that you need to succeed, right? They're giving you information. And and I look around and I go, they can be friends. My my I now have three people, my flock of fools, my wife and two others. Uh one of them one of them is a mentor and the other's a friend. Uh, and so they serve different functions for my, my life, both personally and professionally. And so I, I think I recommend that 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 you you find this cadre of three, if you can, uh, maybe a friend, maybe a, a relative. Uh, and then you want to go outside and you want to find that professional that you found uh, that is able to give you a different perspective. Uh, because sometimes we do have personal issues we don't want to share with others, but it would be nice to have somebody that we could share to, to, to give us advice. Uh, so, so that flock of fools is out there, mentors, coaches, uh, neighbors, friends, relative, uh, they're, they're there. Uh, but, but again, you, you know, it's once you find one, a fool, a potential fool, you really have to convince them to do this mm. because if you were like me and my wife, their initial reaction is, this is a terrible job. Why would I right. want to do this? Right. Uh, because I'm going to have to tell you things you don't want to hear. And I think, you know, and so, so yeah, it is a, uh, you have to convince people you're serious about, you're committed to change. Mm. That, that, if you're looking for that, you have to, com you have to persuade them. And I find it interesting. That's why I do the commitment letter. I want people to actually come in. I found that doing it in writing makes it a stronger commitment than doing it verbally. Mm. Uh, and you promise to do certain things. You promise not to blow up. You promise not to be defensive, not to argue, uh, not to push back. You hear the feedback, the observation, the perception. You take it in. Then you grin and bear it. <laughs> you take some time. But you also have to do the thing that we often forget. We have to thank somebody for doing the hard thing. Mm -hmm. and, and that is a constant deal. You've got to give feedback to the fool for them to know that this is serious. And then you actually have to change. Because if you don't, the person who's acting as your fool realizes that you don't mean it. And as soon as they don't think you mean it, they stop acting like your fool. Mm, yes. Why would they continue? Yeah. Now, nah, this really, this Paul, this is really powerful. I think the whole concept is, 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 is essential. It's important. You need to have people in your life that are going to give you the honest truth and you got to give them the permission uh, to do it as well. And, um, especially, uh, us in leadership roles where we do have, we have high, high egos. We, we are driven professionals. We are highly educated. We, we've been successful our whole lives, right? So we keep relying on the things that make us successful, but we don't see our weak spots. And I think that this is where, and we don't see behaviors that may be self-destructive. And we need someone in our life to say, hey, uh, John, <laughs> you know that nobody knows what you're doing. Like you're communicating poorly. Like you're off, you're, no one's following you. You're off in left field somewhere, you know? And, and so to pull you back, and, and that's super valuable if you want to be able to be successful is without our followers, right? We're not, we're nowhere. Without our employees, we have no business. And, and I think we need that fool in our lives to be able to help us to, uh, to be able to self, we can't self-correct. We need someone to help us uh, identify the areas where we're weak. And I think that uh, this, this, this concept is really important. Um, 
So uh, I was going to ask you, what are you, I mean, this, this, this is phenomenal. You've got this TED talk that's coming out. Um, what are you, what else are you working on these days? Well, come, let me, I need to finish one thing up. Okay, sure. Uh, I always put this in at the end. Uh, first, if you are fortunate enough to have a fool, you have to become a fool. Mm. You, the obligation has now passed to you. And I sincerely believe this. That when someone has given you the gift of truth and has has said, "I'm your fool. I'm unwilling to take any of the any of the bad things that go with that, the hard job," I guarantee you, there's someone you need to be a fool for. Mm. And I found that it's uh, first, it's very gratifying whenever I give this presentation to a group. Afterwards, people will come up and say, "You know." I know someone that needs a fool, and I, I'm going to do this. And so based off of that, I'm going to segue right into this. Uh, the presentation, I tell you, I've developed a handbook. Uh, I don't know whether your, your audience can see it, but I'll read it. It's the Fool's Handbook for those who need a fool or those who want to become a fool. I love it. And uh, that, that's developed for the presentation. And anyone who contacts me, I'll send it out to them uh, free uh, because I believe that that the concept is something more people need to know about. So that's the first thing. And the second thing, I am working on a book, uh, Every Leader Needs a Fool in Their Life. What else? It's taking my experience in, and also the concept and working it into a, uh, into a document that will allow people to better understand what it means and also how it happens. You've asked the questions, right? How do you find a fool? Uh, you know, and obviously people are, are they, they need the process. It will be about the process. Outstanding. So we're going to go ahead and put links to the show notes for uh, for the speech you did, because I think that's that's really powerful when people hear that. Uh, and then we'll also put links for the uh, the handbook, the Fool's Handbook. Uh, and uh, I'm really excited about this book. Uh, when do you think it's going to come out? I think September, that's what I've been promised. Uh, we'll see if that, has, as with all promises, you have to wait and see if we come to reality. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's not a large, it's a hundred pager. Uh, it's, you know, I'm not a, unfortunately, I'm a terrible writer, but I but I love this topic. And so I was able to put together a hundred pages and I'm waiting for the editor to finally finish with it. May have to add a little bit more, but September looks like the, uh, looks like the, the, the published date. Okay, well, great. Well, when it comes out, we'll have you back on and we'll go through some of this. Again, this is such an important topic. Uh, again, um, we're talking about fools and why everyone needs a fool in their lives, especially leaders. Uh, so uh, I encourage you to follow the links that I'm going to put in the show notes down below. Uh, watch that speech because I think it's going to open your eyes up to why you need a fool in your life and why I need a fool in our li my life and all of us need that. Uh, and so... Uh, Paul has given us a, a lot to think about today. Uh, and so I encourage you to, to follow those links and uh, check check out the resources that he he's provided. Uh, Paul, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for sharing this uh, really eye-opening uh, message. And uh, I really, I think it makes us all think twice about this idea of having a trusted advisor with that, you know, uh, giving him the the emotional freedom to be able to to tell us what we need to hear. So I, I really appreciate you coming back on the show and sharing this concept. John, I, I first thank you very much and thank your audience for listening. Obviously, I'm passionate about this. I would agree with you. I think that it's a concept that everyone needs to pay attention to, uh, both professionally and personally. And I hope that uh, that your audience has gained value 
and information for my presentation with you. Absolutely. I know they have. I know I have. And uh, again, Paul, thanks for coming on. And we'll see you when the book comes out. Thank you, John. <laughs> Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Are you a fan of classic cinema or a young person who wants to discover the best films of all time? Do these legendary movies still hold up? On the Generation Film Podcast, two guys who grew up when movies dominated the culture share a great film with a panel of young movie lovers and see how it plays for today's generation. We discuss changes in storytelling styles, representation, the making of each film, its initial reception, and how its meaning has changed over the years. Join us as we explore cinema classics across generations on Generation Film. Electric acid.